What is going on? Welcome to Revolution. Good morning. <clears throat> it is awesome to be here. Anybody excited to be here today? <clears throat> Put your hands together. Got to get this. That's a little weak. Put your hands together real quick. There we go. <clears throat> hey, we wrap up our You Matter month, and it has been. I promise you, it has been amazing. We started off the month with a food pantry. Then, you know, we had some projects yesterday. Over 50 volunteers showed up yesterday on a Saturday morning to serve people in our community. Can we give them a round of applause? It's awesome. We had four projects that we worked on throughout the community, and they were really, really awesome. And it was an awesome day, a proud day, you know. When I was looking for a church a couple over a year ago and my heart was God place me in a place that's the same passion and desires that I have and, and you know you get people with the same heart one heart one mind one focus one vision you can change lives you can change communities and it's awesome to be part of this community with you guys so I, I'm going to clap for you I thank you guys it's awesome to be here and so I clapped a clicker on accident there but hey it is awesome and, and we're going to wrap it up and, and you matter 2.0 next October will be 3.0 we're going to keep this thing rolling we hope it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The Generosity Project, you guys have blown us away. So we have reached over the amount we need for the junior high. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to expand to other schools who have the same needs. So that is awesome. We can put our hands together for that as well. And so it's been a great success. And that's why we do things like this, not just because we believe in this phrase, but we believe that God works through us when we're doing what he wants us to do. And so we're serious about this phrase. We're serious about living out this mission that's treating everybody like they matter because God says they matter, that he created everybody with a, with a purpose and they have honor, dignity, and value because of that. And so we're to live that out. We think the best way to love God is to live out what he calls us to do. And so it's something we live by, but it's not just our words. Jesus said this on his last night and I said this verse the, the first week of this series he, he's with his disciples he says so now I'm giving you a new command so this is new and it wouldn't just be for the disciples then it was going to be for any disciple that would follow Jesus after this this dinner after the last supper in John 13 it says this is the new commandment love each other that's not the new part the new part is just as I have loved you you should love each other you should love others your love for one another this is so cool your love for one another will prove will be the marker will be the brand will show other people the, the, the world that you are my disciples. On that last night, he says, pull it in, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. Uh, I need you to pay attention. Everybody paying attention? Everybody, all eyes up here. Peter, you're paying attention, man. He's like, listen, I'm leaving. You guys don't know where I'm going? Well, you should know where I'm going. You don't understand what I'm doing, but I'm not going to be with you right now any longer after this moment. But here's what, here's what we need to understand. He's like, right now, everybody knows you're my disciples because you spend time with me. You walk with me. I teach you. Everywhere I go, you're there, but I'm leaving. And so no longer are people going to be able to just look at you and say, hey, they're with Jesus, so they're a disciple. Something else is going to have to be the indicator. There's going to be, there's going to have to be another brand because sometimes by, by just looking at people, you can't tell what, what their heart is, right? Anybody ever see someone that you dated and they're like, oh, they look good, and then you dated them and you find out they're crazy? They didn't look crazy, but they are crazy, right? He's like, so you, sometimes you can't tell. He's like, so people aren't going to be able to tell just right away, but there's going to be an indicator, there's going to be something that lets everybody know that you're a follower of mine. It's going to be your mark. And this is so cool, so important. Two verses. This is the only example in all of Scripture that Jesus says, this will be the thing that lets the world know you follow me. Now, he does say we'll live certain ways, but he goes, this is the indicator. How you love. Your love for others will be the indicator that you follow me. 
He said, hey, listen, you guys remember when I preached that Sermon on the Mount? And I walked down, and, and the crowds came, and this man with leprosy walks in, and, and all these people are yelling at him and cursing him. He's like, what did I do? He's like, they're like, hey, you touched him. You reached out and touched him. He's like, yeah, I want you to go love like that. Remember when we were, we were doing ministry, and we were walking through that town, and that woman who was bleeding for years, she's just bleeding, and she wanted to be healed, and she touched my robe, and I stopped. I said, who touched me? And I spent time talking with her. I want you to go love like that. Hey, Peter, you remember when we were at your house and the Pharisees were there and religious people were there, everybody was there and it was crowded and people wanted in and there was, this, there was this group of friends and one of them was paralyzed and they climbed to the top of your roof and they started to kind of, you know, tear up your roof and they, they kind of roped him in and dropped him in and I healed him. I want you to go love like that because that's how I want you to love. People will know that you follow me by how you love others. Revolution, people will know that you follow Jesus by how you love others. And then you start looking at the rest of his life. This is why this phrase is so important. We didn't come up with it, Jesus did. We just call it this, you matter. But encounter by encounter, this is why this is so important. Encounter by encounter, Jesus expressed you matter, whether through a touch, whether through words, whether through action, whether through a dinner. And this you matter activity, this moment of you matterness, unlocked the door to his transformative power. It was literally as if he showed grace, he show love and it opened a door for other people to walk through and when they walked through that door they saw what Jesus could do they saw his transformational power and that is how we want to live that is the mission that needs to be our heartbeat and that's why we're so excited about this and that's what we've been trying to do this entire month open the door for our community to see the transformational power of Jesus we live this way so others can see who Jesus is through us and maybe through our actions we can point them to the life-changing savior of Jesus so we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to look at an encounter, one of my favorite encounters of all the Bible. It's like three or four verses. It's so simple, yet it's profound. But first, l let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about this, about how your life is full of moments that can change everything? That, that if you look at your life and we were kind of sit down and you were to tell me your story and I was to tell you your, my story and, and we kind of shared life, you would tell me about very specific moments and events that happened, right? You, you wouldn't maybe give me every little detail, but you would give me these event, events. And if you look at these events that have shaped your, your stories, that have shaped your life, some of them were really obvious in the moment. And then others of those events that now you can look back and say, man, this was a life-changing moment. But in the moment, I didn't realize it. In the moment, I didn't see it. In the moment, I didn't experience it. But as I look back at my life, it was a life-changing moment. Let me give you a couple of mine. January 12th, 1999, an ordinary Midwest cold winter day. I was in the second grade. So you can, you can, you can do the math to figure out how old I am, right? Second grade, 1999. My mom wakes me up, ordinary day. Let's me know that my dad passed away from his, his injuries from his car wreck. Changed my life. It was very, very obvious. Changed my life. Sixth grade, 2002, 2003. I got to play basketball for the first time ever for school, right? Got to pick up one of those little orange balls. Changed my life forever. But the coach, the coach happened to be a youth minister in town. I'd never met him, never heard of him. His name was Tyson Graber. First day I met him, that day changed my life. He invites me to church, he baptizes me, he mentors me, I go to Lincoln Christian University, eventually graduate, go to another church, and eventually I end up in some town called Logansport, Indiana, at a church called Revolution. A day that changed my life, I didn't see. January 11th, right, a lot of January dates. I, I double-checked with my wife before this. January 11th, 2014. Got to watch my wife walk down the aisle. That was the day that changed my life forever, right? I got the date right, so I get some credit for that, right? Ja <laughs> January 11th, 
There was another day in college when I was a junior. Whitney and I went to the same college. Um, long story short, we did not like each other the first two years at all in college. All right, we knew each other, but we didn't know each other. But one day, it was like a, a, a spring day. I was putting on my cleats on a bleacher. We're getting ready for an intramural flag football game, right? I talked, her friend walks by. She's with her. I, t- I talked to her friend. That's the first time Whitney and I realized, that, hey, that other person actually isn't that bad. You know what I did after that? That summer, I Facebook messenger, right? Tried to, tried to spit some game. And then that, that next semester, we started dating. I right? changed everything. A random Saturday, random Saturday, after years and years of, of trying for, to get pregnant, trying to have a kid, Whitney takes a pregnancy test. And she's like, hey, I think I'm pregnant. I'm like, hey, take it again. Like, let, 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 let double check this bad boy. And she said, t- positive. I said, let's go, let's go get another one. Positive. I said, let's go buy like five more. And they're expensive, y'all. Like, they're very expensive, right? Found out we, we were going to have a, a baby. Fast forward to October 7th, 2021. I got to hold my, my daughter for the first time, Natalie, on that day. Changed everything. There are days in our life that change everything. Some are obvious. Some aren't obvious. But maybe today you're here. Maybe this is the day. That could change everything for you. Started off as an ordinary day. Maybe you're only here because you got the fall festival and you heard we're going to have goats after service, right? That's why you're checking it out, right? But maybe this day can change everything. So I want to look at an encounter of a man who's an ordinary dude, like you and I, doing an ordinary job, working in that grind and having an ordinary job, living his life. He has this encounter that changed everything because your life, my life, can change in one moment. It's a you matter door opening encounter. So let's check it out. Matthew 9, it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew. This is where we're going to pause. Matthew is his name. It's, many scholars believe it's the same Matthew that wrote the gospel of Matthew. So he's telling the, the story of how he encountered Jesus. So Jesus was walking along and he saw, and I like that because we've been talking about seeing the needs around us. So Jesus sees the need and he sees a man named Matthew and he's sitting at a tax collector's booth. And he walks up to him and he's approachable, right? We want to be approachable. And he says, follow me and be my disciple. And Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. So we, we learn a couple things right away. We learn there's a man named Matthew. Everybody say Matthew. Matthew, a tax collector. Everybody say tax collector. You add those two words together and it equals one shady dude. And how do we know that, right? We know not because his name is Matthew, though some Matthews are a little shady at times. There are, he, he's shady because of this job right here. He's a tax collector. He's a cheat. We, we've talked about tax collectors before, but he was so despised with his job, tax collectors' own families would often write you off. So imagine what you would have to do for your mama to write you off. That's what Matthew's mom had to do, right? And so he's a tax collector, and he's sitting there, and he sees Jesus, and he's walking up to him. And he's like, oh, man, here we go. Anybody working like uh, retail or customer service? You know, anybody like, and you know those people as they're walking up to you, you're like, oh, man, they got something to say. Like, you know it. You can tell. They got something to say. And it's like, okay, this is going to be a good day. Some of you roll up your sleeves. You get ready to fight, right? So Matthew sees Jesus. He's walking to him. He's like, okay, what's, Jesus gonna, what's this religious rabbi going to say? Is he going to say, Matthew, I bet your mama's real proud of you. You know, do a couple of you mama jokes. I don't know, right? What's he going to say? Is he going to say, Matthew, man, you're the scum of the earth. Is he going to say, Matthew, hey, you see my boy right there, Peter? Peter's my favorite disciple, by the way. He's like, you see Peter? Yeah, he's a big burly fisherman. Yeah, he wants to, he wants to fight you out back a little bit, right? What, what's he going to say to him? And all those things would have been justified. So Jesus walks up to him, and, and he says, follow me. Everybody say, follow me. Follow me. And this is so cool because Matthew, he doesn't fit the part. He doesn't look uh, churchy, if you will. He doesn't have the right clothes on, doesn't have the right background, doesn't have the right social status, has nothing really to bring to a group. And he says, follow me. 
Jesus with sincerity, love. Imagine, imagine looking into Jesus' eyes. He's looking in his eyes. He says, Matthew, come on, man. Matthew, you know how your living's not right. You know it. I don't got to tell you. Like, we don't got to go down that road. But you know. You know it's not right. You know you, you're made for more than this. You, you know you can't, you know you can't like being hated by everybody. Matthew, so will you just follow me? And here's why I love this. It's a you matter door opening encounter. Because what does you matter do? It opens the door for an encounter. And we want to live in such a way that we have these encounters. So let's step back and jump out of 2023 and go back to Matthew's time. When Matthew was sitting at this tax collector's booth, it was probably outside of a city. And what he would do is he would charge people to go into the city. Imagine every time you went to Lafayette or Kokomo, you had to pay a tax. Like you got charged. We wouldn't be leaving that much. It's not worth going. It's not worth paying a tax to get in those cities, right? But they would pay. And so they would pay money. And then all Often they would charge him a little, little extra so he could pocket the change. But Matthew would have known who Jesus was because he would be able to tell that Jesus had disciples. And so when, when Jesus says, follow me, it, it's, it hits differently to Matthew than it does to us. Because Matthew would have known that Jesus was calling him to be a disciple. And it's interesting because a disciple isn't just someone who hangs out with you. But a disciple would be someone who, who eats with you learns from you, that you teach, that you invest in. And so rabbis would go around and they would pick people to be their disciples. And they often would pick the people who by a young age memorized the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. Can you imagine that? Memorizing five books of the Bible. And then if you were really good by the time you were eight, uh, 10 to 12, you would memorize, you would try to memorize the entire Old Testament. Right word, right, word for word. And then if you got really great, you would move on and then a rabbi would, would pick you. And so Matthew was never picked by one of those rabbis, so he's probably rejected. So when Jesus says, follow me, here's what he's saying. Matthew, be one of our boys. Be one of us. Be one of the crew. Be one of the inner disciples who I'm gonna invest with. Matthew, I'm giving you an opportunity right here, right now. Right, kind of like the greatest showman, right? Right here, right now, I'm putting this offer out. Follow me. It's a door-opening encounter. Now, meanwhile, I just imagine, because you, you got to have some fun when you read the Bible. you got to imagine, there's the rest of the disciples over here, right? And, and they're like, Jesus, are you serious? Like, do we really have to hang out with Matthew? Like, can't you fix, uh, pick somebody who's better than Matthew, right? Like, he's a tax collector. Look at him. His own mama doesn't even like him, Jesus, and you want him to hang out with us? Jesus like, hey, listen, Peter, what are you? You're a fisherman. He's like, yeah, but that's better than a tax collector. It'd be like this. Anybody grow up and your mom would make you hang out with a weird kid down the street? Like, you go to his house and like, he's like, we're gonna play Legos. And all of a sudden the Legos are up his nose. It's like weird. Like, mom, I'm not going back to that kid's house. And she's like, you're going back to that house, right? You're gonna play with him. You're gonna be his friend, right? That's what Jesus do. Like, Peter, shh, shh. Matthew, do you wanna follow me? Jesus, no, 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 Peter, shh. Matthew, do you want to follow me? And the audience, their, 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 their mouth would have been open. Their, the religious people would have been like, come on. This isn't what, who religious people hang out with. And they would almost be saying the same thing sometimes we say. It can't be that simple, can it? Have you ever thought something was really difficult and then you figure out it's really, really simple? And you're like, man, it can't be that simple? Let me tell you a story. I'm, I'm not Bob the Builder by any stretch of imagination, right? Yes, can we build it? Yes, we can. That's not my motto. I can't build much. I'm not a handyman. But one day at my house, uh, you know, I didn't realize this until I got a little older. Once you buy a house, it can pass inspection, then everything starts breaking. So that's what's happening in my house, right? And so one of my toilets needed fixed. <clears throat> and I'm thinking in my head, like, 
who else sat on this toilet in the last 20 years of this house history? That's nasty. I got to touch it and change it. Like, I didn't know if I could, though. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. So I went on YouTube. I'm like, I think I can figure this out. So I went to YouTube and I was like, I'm going to go buy a toilet. When he's like, you're going to do it? I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. So I went to Home Depot and I found there's like 800 different toilets to choose from. I'm like, come on now. I just want a toilet. The water goes in and the stuff goes out. That's all I need, right? Like, and they're like, well, you need this. Like, I don't need this. So I found a toilet. I went home, had a little QR code on it. I scanned it and it said step-by-step step how to install this toilet. And I'm like, whoa, it can't be this simple, can it? I've been paying people to do this stuff my, my entire life. Like, I can figure this out. So what I do next is like, I'm doubting myself. So you know what I do? I call the person I always call, Brian Campbell, right? I get him on FaceTime, right? I FaceTime him. He's not in this ser- service. He's in first service. I FaceTime him. He's got no shirt on. I'm like, this is not going to go well, right? Like, what's going on here? And I'm like, hey, he's like, all you have to do is make sure you change that little wax circle. What is that called, right? I don't know what it's called. It's nasty, though. I'm like, eh. he, he's like, you got to change that and make sure everything sits on that. If you can get on the wax circle, the wax little circle thing, you're good. I'm like, bro, Brian. Someone else has peed on this wax circle. I know it. I'm not touching this. He's like, no, you got to touch it, right? And so I do it. I put the toilet on it. I make sure it's even. I screw the toilet on. Put turn the water on. I flush the toilet. Fully expecting water to squirt everywhere. You know what happens? It flushes like a normal toilet. And I'm like, my goodness, it couldn't be this simple, can it? And to this day, guess what? That toilet still flushes, y'all. Like, I made it, right? I did it, okay? And, and so thank you, thank you, right? In the next 20 years, when I fix one more thing, I'll, I'll let you all know, right? But sometimes with religion, I think we're like, it can't be that simple. Matthew can't live his entire life as a tax collector, cheating all these people out of money, and all of a sudden Jesus just comes onto the scene and says, hey, follow me. It can't be that simple. So let's just go back to what Jesus said. And here's what I want to do. I don't want to add any words to it. I don't want to take any words from it. I just want you to read with me exactly what Jesus says he has to do in this very moment to follow him. That's what we're going to do, right? We're, we're going to make it real easy. I think it's actually six words that Jesus says. Let's look at these six words. Follow me and be my disciple. That's it. That's all he said. Now, notice what he doesn't say, because sometimes what people don't say, if you're married, you realize this, sometimes what they don't say is what's really important, right? And so here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, Matthew, you are one shady dude. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to come back in three weeks. And if you get your life better in three weeks, you can follow me. He doesn't say, hey, Matthew, here's a list of rules. I want you to do this and check this off and this off. And then if, if we come back and you got like 80% success rate, you can be my disciple. He, he doesn't say, hey, you got to change the way you look. Here's what he says. So simple. Follow me. And by following me, I want you to be my disciple. That's all you got to do. And so what does that mean for you and I? One, it means this is the invitation to all of us right now. If you're not following Jesus, this is what Jesus says. Follow me. Be my disciple. But it also means for us is living out this mission of living like Jesus and helping people find Jesus. This means we have to live with this understanding that Jesus would t- say to the person right now who's stuck in addiction, this is what Jesus would say follow me. And the person who we think is a lost cause, here's what Jesus would say, follow me. Here's what Jesus would say to anyone right here in this room, he, he would say, follow me. And this is what we get so wrong so many times. Here's what we do. We believe in this mindset. Do this. What is this? Whatever this is, right? Whatever you believe it to be, whether it's the way you dress, the way you act, do this, you know, go to church so many times, read your Bible so many times, do this, and then we can follow Jesus look a certain way, act a certain way, get everything lined up, look good, figure it all out, then I can follow Jesus. Figure out my life, then I can follow Jesus, right? And that's where we get it wrong because Jesus says, wherever you're at, 
follow me. So Matthew, I don't need you to do anything else right now except get up and follow me because here's what Jesus knew. And here's what we got to understand. If we can open the door for people to follow Jesus, if they follow Jesus, if Matthew followed Jesus, Jesus knew that Matthew would start to look like him and act like him and talk like him, that Jesus would change his life. And so what we do is we put the offer out to follow Jesus because when we're truly following Jesus, we're gonna try to live the way he calls us to live. But you first have to say, I, I have a desire to follow Jesus. And you know what happens? Jesus will start to work in your life. The Spirit of God will start to work in your life and you will start to change. But every single one of us who follow Jesus now start at some point that wherever you are at in life, someone lets you know that you can follow Jesus exactly where you are and you started following him and it has led you to where you are now. So Matthew, Will you follow me? I don't need you to do anything else in this moment right now, but will you follow me? It kind of reminds me of a conference I went to several years ago, and they were talking about movies and books, and that every movie and every book follows seven core themes. I can't remember all seven, but it's the quest, it's the, the, the rom-com, the, the comedy, the ro romantic movie, you know, some of y'all are going to be going crazy over the Hallmark Christmas movies. Those things are so bad. I don't know how you watch them, but some of y'all are going to be watching them soon, right? And, and you got the underdog story, you got the rags, the riches story. And he's like, but every basic movie, every movie follows one of these seven basic themes. So for example, I'll get a little age on you. Take Pretty Woman. Anybody ever seen Pretty Woman? All right. No, I've never seen it, but take Pretty Woman, right? He said, take Pretty Woman, for example. He goes, at the core, it's the same story as Cinderella. Now so you, oh, that makes me mad. No, it's the same story, right? Or let's look at the monster theme, all right? Take Harry Potter, Star Wars, same movie. One's got lifesavers, one's got wands, right? We don't know that to be true. He's like, think about any movie where there's a good guy. So the Avengers or, or DC heroes or any Fast and the Furious movie or any movie the Wayne The Rock Johnson's in. He's like, here's what happens. Listen, I want because I think this is what's happening here. I, I, when I read this story, I see it. He says, in that movie, something bad will happen. Boom, an asteroid hits Earth. A purple, mean Barney Thanos comes to Earth and needs to, you know, the Earth needs protected, right? There'll be a bad guy, a bad thing happens. Then somebody will call somebody and say, hey, hey, Rock, whatever his name is in the movie, we need your bald head and your big muscles to come and save us, right? And they call him and he comes onto the scene and what does he do? He saves, he beats the monster, saves, saves the day. Every kind of action hero movie ends with that same common theme. And when I, when I was reading it this week, I, I thought back to that because here's what Jesus is saying, hey, Matthew, you got a monster in your life. Just like all of us had a monster in our life. And we need to remember, we had a monster in our life. Other people around us have a monster. Some of us have slayed that monster. Some of us in that process. He's like, are you willing to leave your monster? Are you willing to leave that tax booth and follow me? I don't need you to defeat it right now. I'll take care of it. But are you ready to follow me? And what Jesus does is Jesus opens a doorway. We just have to walk through it. Matthew just had to walk through it. And so once we understand that Jesus does that, he opens the doorway and we, we walk through it, we have to then op start opening that doorway through our actions, through our love, and through how we live for other people. Because here's what happens next. Matthew followed him. And later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. So they're going from a tax collector's booth to a tax collector's house. I'm sure the rest of the guys are loving this. And so at, there, there's Jesus and his disciples. So like the, the elite of the elite here 
uh, the, the religious people. And then there's many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. I love that word. He's like, hey, it's really, really shady people. And they're at Matthew's house. So you got Jesus and his disciples and then all these other people. And who brought them together? It wasn't Jesus that brought them together. It was Matthew. And what did Matthew just experience? Matthew just experienced Jesus' love that opened the door to the transformational power. Now all of a sudden, Matthew is opening the door for his friends. See how it's a ripple effect? Jesus says, Matthew, I love you. Here's the grace. Matthew then opened the door for his friends. So what? So they can now see the transformational power that Jesus offers. Matthew's like, hey guys, you have to experience what I've experienced with Jesus. You have to be around him just like I've been around him because when, when you do when you are you will see what he can do you will see that he is unlike anybody the world's ever seen he is the one he is the Messiah he is the way so Matthew goes from the tax collector to the life group leader. He invites all these people to his house. And I love it because it's showing us what happens when we start opening the door. Once we understand that Jesus opens the door for us and we start opening it for others and pointing them to Jesus, things can happen. That's what Matthew is doing. But here we get to this verse. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his teacher, his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Like, dude, that's rude, man. These Pharisees are a bunch of jerks, huh? He's like, why does your teachers eat with such scum? Because religious people, they don't hang out with people like that. Our teachers taught us not to hang out with people like that. That's what they're saying. We are better than that. You know those people, right? Well, Jesus hears this. And when Jesus heard this, he said, hey, healthy people don't need a doctor. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and, and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. He's, he's quoting uh, Old Testament prophet Isaiah here. And for I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know what? Or Jesus doesn't deny that he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. He's like, hey, I know I'm hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Now, I, I always imagine like Matthew overhears that. like, did he just call me a sinner? Right? Does he, he just call me sick? And Jesus looks at him like, Matthew, you know you're sick, man. We already had this conversation. Like, yeah, yeah we're good. We're good. Okay. But he's like, let me, let me give you a little analogy. I'm a, I'm a physician. I'm a, I'm a doctor. And good doctors, they, they help sick people. Now, if you have a doctor that doesn't ever see you when you're, when you're sick, you don't have a very good doctor. He's like, because doctors don't necessarily help healthy people. They're there for the sick people. And I'm a, I'm a physician, so yes, they're sick, and, and they're, they're needy, and they're sinners, but that's the very reason I've come. It's like, by you saying that, you're saying I'm living on my mission, because those are the people who need a doctor, not those who don't think they need a doctor, not those who think they're better than others. So I've come for the sick. I've come here to seek and save the lost. And then he's like, let, let me talk to you a little bit more. Because this is where it gets kind of a comical. He kind of, he kind of gets a little, uh, a little, not attitude, but he, he kind of gets under, steps on their toes a little bit. Let, let me show you. It says, he, he says this. Now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. So he's like, hey, you know that book that you, high, you hold in such high regard? He's like, you know those scriptures that you have memorized? I don't think you actually know what they mean. He's like, because if you did, you wouldn't be living this way. He's like, so why don't you go home and why don't you open or scroll open those scriptures and why don't you go learn this? When God said, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. He's like, I want you to go back to when God was telling the Israelites, hey, you're playing that religious part really, really well, but you're not living it out. 
He's like, you look good on the outside, but your heart is a mess. That you, you, you're living in such a way, you think you're doing everything right, but you're excluding people, you're hurting people, you're living like you got everything figured out, but you don't. So Jesus said, I want you to go figure that out. Because once you do, you'll realize that God doesn't want you to exclude yourself from others. He wants you to go show them mercy. And then he, he's, this is what he's saying. He's like, you guys think you're so good. He's like, you live in such a way where you're always categorizing people, good and bad, and somehow you never end up on the bad side. He goes, so you look at people who are caught in addiction and you think they're so sick, but you don't realize your own addiction is self-righteousness. And he's like, you look at other people and you think they're so bad because of how they're living. He's like, you don't even see the speck in your own eye. And you live in such a way where you think you're so much better than everybody else. And maybe you do live better. Maybe you are morally superior than them. But God doesn't want you to exclude yourself from them. So go show them mercy. So Jesus is flipping the world, flipping the religious system upside down. In just three, four verses, we learn so much. And then Matthew, this tax collector, becomes Matthew the disciple. It's amazing. It's amazing. He writes the gospel of Matthew, we believe, and ultimately Matthew is killed for his faith. So what I wanted to do to wrap this series up is I wanted to start looking at this. What was it that, it, it intrigues me, what was it about Jesus that caused people who were nothing like him to want to be around him? Because I, I don't know about you. What do you typically do when you don't like somebody? Do you want to hang out with them all the time? You don't have to lie, right? Like, no, you don't. Like, if you don't like somebody, you don't want to hang out with them, right? If, you, if, if someone doesn't have a lot in common with you, we often don't hang out with them. Yet, here's these people who are nothing like Jesus. They wanted to be around them. What was it? Like, what did he live? How did he live? Well, he saw their needs. He was approachable. He led with love. And I realized the secret was wrapped up in the most profound word in Christianity. The word that makes Christianity different than everybody else, everything else the word that makes Jesus different than everybody else. It's a word that we throw around a lot, but it's the word grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. And kind of the church term for grace is undeserved, unearnable favor. That, and we'll, we'll look at the verse in a second, but there's someone showing us forgiveness or mercy when we don't deserve it. And the interesting thing about grace is, grace is a very Christian concept. It says Christianity, it says Jesus apart. But all of us at some point in our life want grace. Think back when you're growing up, uh, uh, you got a curfew, you know, uh, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock for all the cool parents out there. Just kidding, right? No, I didn't say that, right? And, and you, get, you, you get home late, and you get home late, and you're like, hey, hopefully they're asleep, but you know they're not asleep. So you get home, and your mom and dad are sitting at that table, and you're like, you know you're in trouble, right? You're like, you, know, you, could, you, you could feel your mom's like, look, by the time you open that front door, you're like, yeah, she's sitting there. Like, I can feel her presence, right? And you go to them, what do you want your parents to show you in that moment? Grace. Why do you want grace? Because you want to go out next weekend, right? You want to be late again, right? You want grace. Or you're at work and you haven't been working very hard and your boss calls you in and he, he, he's on to your games. In that moment, you want grace. When you mess up a relationship and you know you've messed up, you know you fall short, you want grace. Well, grace is undeserved, unearnable favor. So I started thinking about this. Jesus lived with the people that no one else in the society showed grace. The lepers, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. And he would walk up to them. And he would talk to them. He would approach them. He would see them. He would love them. But he would show them grace. 
He would give them an opportunity. This is what makes it different. It's not a free pass to do whatever you want. It was an opportunity to change the way you're living and walk into this new life he can offer. It was almost as if grace opened the door to the transformational power that Jesus offers. It was almost the way that he lived out you matter and grace was a doorway that opened and it offered people the transformational power he has. And why does this matter for you and I? Because if you talk to people and you look at your life, what often keeps people far from God is like, I feel unworthy. I feel unloved. I feel like I've messed up too much. I feel like no one can save me. I feel like what I've done I can't get forgiveness for. Maybe that's you. Maybe if we were alive during Jesus' time, we would feel like the lepers, the outcasts, the prostitutes, the sinners, the tax collectors. But there's a promise. I love how Paul put it. He says, but God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much. We mattered to him so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, even though we were dead because of our addiction, even though we were dead because of all the things that were keeping, the monsters in our life that was keeping us from what God wanted, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. I love these words, but God. Everybody say, but God. But God, but God, you were dead. You were enslaved by all this. You all had these monsters, but God loved us. And the promise was this, that grace was greater. Grace was greater than shame, addiction, my past, my last name. That grace was greater than anything. And grace has the power to change lives. That grace has the power to change your story. That in one day you could be living so far from God, and in one moment your life can completely change. Grace is greater. And here's what's amazing about grace is that many of us have witnessed it. Grace can take a man named Matthew who is sitting at a tax collector's booth and change him to Matthew the disciple in one instant, in one moment. And why I want to end this series with grace is because once you understand and once I understand how powerful the gift of grace is that God gives us, we can't hold that from anybody. And once we realize how much God has graced us and how much grace God has given us. And it should transform our hearts to want to go and tell every single person about the transformational power that God offers through grace. But sometimes, sometimes, we get so distracted, we, get, we forget how powerful God's grace was. We forget what it was like to be far from God. And sometimes, we can forget that we need to point people to Jesus and experience that same transformational power. So what I want to do is I want to end very, very strategically. Up here on these tables, there are little pieces of paper. Each side, one side says you matter. And that's the grace. It represents the grace. So you all matter. You all matter to God. That God loved you so much he sent Jesus to die for you. That, that is the story of the gospel. The gospel is good news. That we were dead in our sins, but through grace, God saved us through Jesus. And we all can follow him. But on the other side, many of us have experienced and witnessed this grace just like Matthew did. That's why Matthew's story is amazing. He witnessed it firsthand. He got to see it. And on the other side of this card, it's blank. It says nothing. What I want us to do as this team sings in just a moment is I want you to put a word maybe that's held you back. I'm going to try to spell it right. A word that maybe held you back, like shame. And it, it, shame kept me from experiencing God's grace for so long kept me in my, my monster, kept me in my tax collector's booth. But meanwhile, God was offering me this. So on the, this side, you're going you're gonna to put a word, addiction, shame, insecurity that maybe kept you 
from experiencing God's grace, but eventually God's grace showed you how much you matter and it transformed your life. And what I want us to do that in just a moment is for us to remember as a community, let us never get too big to love someone that God puts in our life. Let us never get too important to remember that it's God's grace that saved each of us. Let us never get too big to remember that we matter to God. So what we're going to do is there's one at each table. You're going to go ahead. You're going to grab a marker. You're going to grab a card. First person is going to come up here. Worship team is going to sing behind us amazing song. And you're going to stand here. And we're just going to fill this room with the transformational power that God has offered every one of us. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to get started with this. God, we are so thankful that you offer us grace, that you show us grace, that you sent Jesus to die for us. Father, you put the simple message of you matter on our hearts, and we want to live every day like we matter, that others matter, God. It's all because of Jesus. Everything falls at the feet of Jesus. Everything we do falls at the feet of Jesus, God. Jesus changes everything. You've changed so many stories in this room. Father, today we just want to remember those stories that you've changed. But most of all, we want to thank you and praise you. It's in your great and precious name we pray. Amen.